0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Breakpoint Podcast, starring myself,
1: Frankie, and my co-host, Marcus. Frank, what's going on? End of the year. We're excited.
0: Uh, Yeah, it's going to be a good end of the year. I think we have a nice little end-of-year swing going now with the ATP Finals coming up. It's one of my favorite events, one of your favorite events And an event that we feel is really undervalued, I think, when looking at the sort of lifespan of people's careers. And we've tried to really rectify that in our analysis. So happy to give this event the coverage that I think it deserves and value that I think it deserves. So we will get into that. And we'll also get into what I think Marcus and I also view as probably the worst time of the year which is like this weird indoor slash Asian swing on the door that nobody really watches and a lot of really random results happen.
1: It's the reason why Breakpoint Podcast has been uh, a little quiet lately, but we're excited to pick it back up because we had some pretty cool results from Paris. Uh, Holger Rune taking the title at 19 years old, winning his first ATP Masters, taking out Djokovic in a pretty epic three-set match there. Um, And now we're gearing up for the ATP Tour Finals, which, as Frank just mentioned, is absolutely one of the most underrated uh, tournaments on every top player's resume. Um, It's really a test of not only just physical fortitude because it's at the end of the season, uh, but also mental fortitude. You're there with the best of the best, the creme de la creme. Eight of the top guys in the world. You're meeting for a week playing round robin where there's all sorts of pressure, and I got to win these sets and win these games. Every point matters in that group stage. It makes for a super interesting event.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's great. And it's also a different format, like you mentioned, which I think is really, really valuable on the tour. And it's good to. Experiment with tournaments that have a different feel and sort of strategic outlook for the players, too, like of about how they're thinking about the match. I think any type of strategic diversity when it comes to a tournament is generally a pretty good thing um, and something that I would really like to see more of going forward, if anything, which I think would be great. But very quickly, let's just sort of go through... Holger Rune here because he is somebody who I owe a big and I think I have already given him a big fat apology but Holger Rune is somebody that I have dramatically undervalued over the course of this year and probably beforehand too but I think you know I've mentioned that I was wrong about him and that I've changed my opinion but you know let me just say plainly like this guy is going to be a top five player for the next at least few years if everything keeps going according to plan. I am unsure whether he will win like a major or something like that. Granted, the guy just won Paris, but uh, you know, I, I can't really speak about the major stuff that that's a little bit harder to predict. And I need to see a little bit more consistency over time from him, but he's done great this year, but I will give him his flowers. This tournament, he played absolutely amazing and the quality of opponents that he was able to beat was really one of the better runs that we've ever seen. Starting in the first round, he beats Stan Vavrenka, which, even though, again, this is an aged-old Stan Vavrenka, that is a fantastic win. Then goes out and beats Hubi Herkash, the number 10 seed, 7-5, 6-1, straight sets, indoor hardcourt, Kubi Hercash is a legit player, so that is a massive W. Then goes on to beat Andre Rublev in the round of 16 in straight sets. Again, another really impressive win by Holger Rune. Quarterfinals, uh, I'll say that he beat Carlos Alcaraz with you know quotation marks here because Carlos did pull out. And as we have subsequently learned, does have a torn abdomen, which will remove him from the ATP World Tour finals, unfortunately, for all of us. But thankfully, this is occurring at the end of the year when he's going to have a potential month off now. So hopefully Carlos will be back in time for Australia at the beginning of the year. But we'll touch upon that in just a little bit. But get through that match. Then faces a Felix al Aliassime, who we also need to talk about, that won like 19 matches in a row going into this match, 18 matches in a row, some crazy streak, and beats him 6-4, 6-2. Not even really a contest. And then finally takes down Novak Djokovic. And to me, the most impressive part about that victory was that he lost the first set 6-3 and had the mental strength and belief in himself to come back and win that match, including breaking Novak at 5-all in the third set, which is really, really beyond impressive from Holger Rune. So, Marcus, I don't know how much of this tournament that you did catch and how much of Holger Rune you watched, but what really stood out for you about his game, in particular this tournament?
1: For me in particular with with Holger is, first of all, he's got kind of, not Alcaraz like I wouldn't go that far, but he's got firepower that most guys on the tour do not have. But he's also got two things that come with firepower is one, uh, the cojones to actually go for it because a lot of guys will pull back and not really go for it on a consistent basis, especially if you start missing, you get a little, you lose a little confidence and whatnot. But just the fact that not only does he go for it, but he's going for it even when he does miss and he's staying relatively within himself, within that frame of his power, which uh, explains, you know, a lot of the results that you just kind of rattled off there, Frank, is that he is not really afraid Uh, to get after those balls, especially ones where he's stepping inside the baseline, taking control of the point, changing direction of the ball. So you'll see him go down the line quite a bit. He's not afraid to do that. Now it did work well on Hindor Hard. Um, there's There's a lot to be seen with Holger, but these are great signs so far. I don't know if it's the Patrick Moritoglu effect. I just wanted to say that just to see Frank's face as I said that. Um, but, uh, it's been working so far. He's slowly starting to mature. I think a lot of people on the tour and a lot of people in the media would like him to mature a little bit quicker. Um, but I, I think he's slowly getting there and slowly figuring out like what it takes to be like a top level professional tennis player. He's ranked 10 in the world now uh he's going to be an alternate at the ATP Finals so you know big shout out to Holger he he really impressed us this week.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think I am a little bit more critical of him when it comes to his mental side of things like involving the antics really. I think that he definitely needs to mature a little bit if he wants to really compete at a Grand Slam at like a bigger sort of tournament stage, if that makes sense. But at the same time, what Stan Vlarenka did to him in that first round when he was just like, my piece of advice to you is that you need to mature or whatever. Like Stan can like honestly go kick rocks. Like you lost the match, just stop. Uh, And and obviously Holger Rune then proved him wrong by (laughs) winning the entire tournament, which is kind of hilarious. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the thing that really stood out for me about Holger this tournament was that he has a really special backhand like a really really good one I think if I was if I'm remembering correctly through the semifinals of the tournament he had the hardest hit backhand throughout uh, of any player like Harvard highest average velocity oh yeah on his backhand which is really saying something considering there were some pretty heavy hitters so I think that that's an area that I think is really, really interesting when it comes to the sort of next gen guys of Alcaraz Sinner, and Holger Rune. Like each of them collectively has like a really spectacular, uh, backhand, like if anything, like that's kind of their primary weapon, which is pretty crazy to think about. Uh, I think his serve is perfectly serviceable. I, I don't love his forehand. I, like, I don't know why technique wise, there's like that weird, like he like perfectly faces the racket out, you know what I'm talking about, that it, it just kind of like looks odd to me, but it's effective. It works. So like, I can't really like if it's broke, don't fix it, you know, whatever. And yeah, I mean, listen, I, I don't know what his ceiling is, to be perfectly honest. I, I don't. I, I would need to really dive into his game more than i have to to sort of give my honest assessment but winning the paris masters and beating the players that he beat that's a serious you know player at 19 years old that's a serious that's a serious win uh as to whether he could do it consistently we'll find out yeah there's um there's just not
1: enough of a sample size there yet mm -hmm.
0: yeah i agree i i have no idea if this is like you know, uh, lightning in a bottle like he's got good Grand Slam results. I think he got to the quarterfinals of Roland Garros this year, if I'm not mistaken. So it's he's I think he's clearly a top 15 player in the world for sure. Uh, I don't know whether he's top 10 at this point. I think he's like right on that borderline. But the fact that he's pushing that borderline at 19, that's pretty awesome. You know, we've got to sort of remember our expectations that, like, not everybody is Carlos Alcaraz that wins the U.S. Open at nineteen, number one player in the world. Like, that's not the expectation here. Uh, you know, so what Holger Rune is doing is awesome. I was completely wrong about him. You know, a year, two years ago, and uh, I'm very happy to be proven wrong, as we we try to do on this podcast. Anytime we're wrong, we own up to it and we give the player their flowers. And you know, I owe Hol- Holger Rune. I'm wrong. You are a really good tennis player with a very, very bright future in this game. And I'm very happy that he is. So moving on here. Um, oh, actually, let's just wrap up a little bit of the the rest of the end of the season before we get into the Tour Finals. I think the two sort of highlights that I would have, uh, number one, is that Felix Alger-Aliasim, like I mentioned, had that crazy winning streak, won, I think, two or three tournaments in a row, uh, really? Again, sort of like reach that like streaky peak that we know that he has. Like the ceiling is uh, it, it, among the highest in the game with him, but unfortunately was not able to uh, win Paris and and beat Holger Rune. I think the second storyline of the end of the season here has been the underperformance of of few of the guys that we have been talking up for the past few months here. Yannick Sinner losing in the first round of Paris, um. Carlos Alcaraz has had sort of like a little bit of a shaky end of the season, but he was injured, so I don't really know what to make of it. And Casper Ruud is another one, similar to Yannick Sinner, just completely had a horrible end of the season. So I'm beginning to think that it's more that those guys have played more matches this year than they have at any other point in their career, and that's kind of what's causing this. But, you know, Marcus, curious to hear your thoughts on everything that I just mentioned and your takeaways from the end of the year.
1: Um, yeah, you just nailed the head on the, uh, nailed the nail on the head, right? So is that, is that how we say it? Hit the nail on the head. Hit the nail. Thank you. Jesus Christ. Um, this is, this is why I have Frank on. He corrects my English. Um, we, yeah, center Alcaraz rude. These guys have never played that long of a season before. So, um, Not really expecting. I'm not really like saying, thinking to myself, "Oh, this is a cause for concern." After, especially after the U.S. Open and Wimbledon, like these big, exhausting—not just physical, but also mental—efforts. You know, for Casper to make a second Grand Slam final in a year. um, You know, for uh, um, Carlos to to win the U.S. Open, to do what he did for for Jan to have an epic match with Carlos. Like, I'm not really. Concerned about it. Honestly, the only only most interesting news in tennis over like since the U.S. Open is that Simona Halep got busted for doping. So that's that's like pretty much it for me.
0: Allegedly, allegedly. Um, I'm just kidding. It it is a fact. I mean, she did get busted for doping. That is a fact. But she's (laughs) contesting it and saying that she didn't knowingly take it. Which I really struggle. Every
1: every other doper ever says and she admits it was even she was like well it was only a small amount okay yeah
0: i so. mean i'm only a little bit pregnant like yeah, yeah right <laughs> it just <laughs> doesn't work that way patrick mortugaloo um, effect uh, there i mean no comment I, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm i'm, I'm baiting not Frank so i'm bad. not i so bad i'm not engaging in in this bait but you know yeah i, I mean simona holop is that's really unfortunate and it and it makes the comeback that she's had the past few months where everybody's been impressed particularly marcus i might add um it, it really sours the taste of of this season for her so
1: yeah i mean we'll you know we'll see whether or not you know they'll, i'm sure they'll do an extra test or whatever but yeah definitely definitely not a good look for tennis uh the women's game or simona herself
0: yeah, I am fully with you. So, moving on, ATP Tour Finals. I will list off the players that will be participating because Carlos alcaraz Alexander Zverev, those guys are not in this due to injury. So, we have Rafael Nadal, Casper Rude, Stefano Sitsipas, Novak Djokovic, Daniil Medvedev. Felix Aliasim, Andre Rublev, and Taylor Fritz
1: make Squeaking the cut in, baby
0: in Turin. So, Marcus, first question I have for you: Do you think, like, let's take a let's let's pretend everybody is healthy and you know whatever? Who are the top eight players in the world? Who would be the people that you're bringing to the ATP Finals?
1: Um. I mean, I, I I would like to bring, I guess the only really guy who I'd honestly actually bring would maybe be Yannick Sinner, but besides him, uh, and even even the argument can be made that he doesn't deserve to be there, it's really based on, you know, listen, these guys are the top eight players in the world, uh, two are out to injury, but otherwise... You got to earn your spot there. You got to do well. It's all about consistency, right? Week after week after week. I know Jan has a couple of like bang bang highlight results, but then he'll have like oh an off week where he loses a first round and stuff. So until he gets more consistent, I'm not. I would love to see him play just because I know that he can beat any of these guys on any day when he's hot. But uh, all of these guys very very deserving to to be in this position to be playing in Turin, in my opinion.
0: Uh, I generally agree with you. I think that Jan has to have a season where he actually performs well in the Masters 1000 events where he's losing a ton of these points, number one. And listen, part of it is that he's gotten screwed on a couple of draws. Like he got Carlos Alcaraz, like seemingly every single time in a big tournament, which like sucks for him. Great for us. And, you know, that's, that's just kind of unfortunate, but like, what happened in Paris is sort of a perfect example of it. Like you just can't lose that first round matchup. You just you just can't. You know, he had a clear path, I think, to like the round of sixteen where he would have matched up against Djokovic. And it's like you got to at least get there, right? Like you can't just blow that match. But he's won. But again, I'm not like who am I taking out? Am I going to take out? I'd maybe take out Rublev. I'd take out Rublev before I take out Fritz. I think Fritz has had a nice season and like Fritz won the fifth major, right? He won the fifth biggest tournament on the tour. He deserves to be there. You know, I got to give him his flowers. There is one player who I think 1000% deserves to be here. And in any other year would be here outside of this nonsense. Nick Kyrgios. I, I, I think that Nick, I think that Nick deserves to be here. If Nick had gotten the points from Wimbledon that he deserves to get, I think he would be pushing right on it, and you know when I think about the 2022 ATP season, I don't know how you don't think that Kyrgios is within that top eight. I mean, the guy, the guy is definitely a top eight player on the tour. So, but again, to your point, this is more about consistency than it is like magical runs. So, I don't know, but I think that Kyrgios probably should be here and i i'm curious to run the math now on uh if he would have made it if if he had those wimbledon points so i'll let marcus go while i figure that out
1: yeah i mean you know what all right he would have had 3870 he would have been actually you know what he would have been in it oh sorry wait 1500 sorry he didn't win wimbledon he would have been on the cusp um whether or not it would have motivated him to actually like play the Asian swing and maybe get a couple of points there it would have been interesting to see. Yeah. um, If, if he had done that and he had been consistent enough, but he also had chance at the beginning of the year, he also skips the clay season essentially. So he would have been
0: in it by the way. Yeah. He would have been yeah,
1: in he it. He would okay. have been in it.
0: He would have been in it. Yeah. Okay. He's at 1870 right now, 1500 for reaching the finals of a grand slam. So he would have 3370. So he actually would have, Dinked Novak by fifty points um, to be in the top eight in the world, and even if we don't do the Novak thing because of whatever, uh, he would have gotten in over Taylor Fritz, who had twenty nine hundred.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, ago. you got to you got to keep into consideration Novak deserves two thousand points.
0: Yeah, that's that's exactly what I'm saying. Is right. that if Novak then gets the two thousand, he's firmly in it, obviously, but yeah. he still bumps out Taylor Fritz. Is the for answer. sure? So, so yeah,
1: Nick. Good choice there. Um, I think he's deserving. I would love to see him compete regularly on a consistent basis next year. Uh, I know he doesn't like to play clay in a couple of other tournaments, but it would be really nice to see him kind of give it like a full year of, of effort. Uh, he's physically there. Um, and it kind of segues us into our predictions here, Frank. And it's kind of interesting that you brought up the fact that Djokovic does not have those 2,000 points because that puts him at the bottom of the seating positions. So um, the way it works at the ATP finals, is it's split into two groups initially. Uh, generally the number one and two seeds will be put in opposite um, uh, in opposite draws. And then they kind of split it up randomly from there. Um, we don't want to see a number one and a two seed, obviously in the same group right away. So uh, we're not going to see Nadal. And apparently, I mean, Tsitsipas is going to be the two seed, which is bizarre. Uh, but that's that's going to happen. Um, we might potentially see if things get weird. We could see a group where Nadal, Djokovic, and Medvedev, uh, arguably some of the favorites, are put all into one group. That would be an absolute group of death. Hope it doesn't happen because we would like to see some more competitive uh, semifinals and finals uh, potential matchups. Although at this tournament, every matchup is going to be good because everybody is so good good uh, it's close
0: I think it's I think it's more that the 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 gap between who we view as the top players here and the rest of the field is like razor thin like this is not like previous years where it's like oh you know Novak and Rafa way better than everybody else like no that's definitely not the case like I mean my opinion is that this is easily Rafael Nadal's best chance to win an ATP finals ever I, I mean, he's, really?
1: Oh, elaborate.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I think he's. This is his best chance. Zverev's not here. Djokovic is like one month back. Like Medvedev has been, you know, shaky at best on hard courts recently. Like you gotta say that he's, you know, this is this has got to be one of Rafa's opportunities to sort of get that that title that he needs because he's never won this. I I'm not saying that Rafa is the favorite, by the way. I I don't. I think that, um, I think that that Novak is the favorite, but and and I don't even think Rafa is the second favorite, by the way. I think that the second favorite, to be honest, is probably Felix Yassim, who has just mm-hmm. been on fire, and yeah, like, uh, and that guy like FAA is just one of those people that, like, when he's on fire, he can kind of beat anybody that's put in his path. He just has that game that it's overwhelming. He's like a fantastic mover. He's got all the firepower in the world. And it's like, you know, he his, his ceiling is as high as anybody. So that would be my two picks. Uh, but again, it will sort of depend on the draw. I'm not going to lie, but I, I can very clearly envision, at least from my perspective, that like the guys who could actually win this thing are Novak, FAA and Nadal, certainly. And just to give a fourth, because there's going to be like the four people who advance out of the round robin, I will go with Taylor Fritz because there's always one guy that makes it out of the round robin that we never expect Casper <laughs> Rude last year. And I think Fritz definitely has that opportunity this year. So I'll throw in Fritz.
1: I think. I mean, it depends on how the groups shake out. Um, if Joker, Nadal, and Medvedev pop into one group, I, 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 I think Nadal's the odd man out out of those. Um, I'm picking Djokovic as well to go through. Um, I think FAA. You know what the thing is with FAA man he like he'll do really well in these 500s and 250s and then this is the type of time where he just absolutely just wets the bed oh, so I know could...
0: let's let's be clear I have no ideas FAA could either win this whole thing or he's going to lose like love and love and bounce out within two matches
1: Oh, okay, well, love, a, love and love is an exaggeration, but uh, I, I think he could absolutely get bounced immediately, just like lose his first two matches right off the bat, and we're like, okay, cool, bye. Um, Rublev got a puncher's chance, plays really well on on fast indoor courts, kind of his surface. I think Taylor Fritz also. Um, my pick also to go through. I think I think Paz is going to surprise a lot of people at this tournament. I think he does really well at the ATP Finals. Yep, has uh, won a- it. He's won it, right, actually back-to-back back after he won Next Gen a couple of years ago. So uh, he's also, he needs a redemption tour, man. This guy's got to be doing something better than what he's been kind of putting out there. He is ranked three in the world, so he must be doing, you know, something right. I think a lot of people are writing him off, and he's got a lot to prove. Um, this would be a nice way to kind of send him off into 2023 if he did do well. So I'm going to go with Joker, Medvedev, Pass. And I'll go with Rublev for now. Um, it depends on how the groups shake out, but I'll go with those four for now. Uh, I don't know how Nadal's body is going to hold up, especially in indoor hard court. I know it might be his best chance. I just the surface just doesn't really match up that really that well for him anymore.
0: But maybe it does. Like this is the thing. Like this is not the Rafa Nadal of like six years ago, where. You know, he 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 doesn't want a fast court. Like he wants a slow court. Like no, like him and Novak both want a fast court where they can like have quick points because physically they can't dominate like they once did. You know, I I hear you that like this is not like he obviously Nadal would love it to be clay because his movement is better, but I I, I don't think that he's ad, as adverse to this surface as he used to be. But it uh, it does depend on what Rafa's priorities are, which is kind of the impossible thing to predict for him is I don't know if his priority is I'm going to go and win the ATP finals because I don't have it yet and I've never done it and I want to do it. If it is, then like I'm going to back him because I think that he like physically like I, I, I think he'll do what he needs to do to win the tournament and like be physically ready. But my and my inclination is that way because he's actually playing it. But we'll see.
1: My only retort to that is, Frank, how many indoor hard quarter hard court tournaments on the ATP level has Rafael Nadal won?
0: I would venture to say none, to be honest. Maybe only One.
1: One. Two thousand five, yeah. indoor Masters in Madrid. He won a second indoor title, but it was on clay, so I'm discounting that. That <laughs> that is why I don't trust Nadal at this tournament. That's, no, I I, I hear
0: you. I don't, I'm not disagreeing. Like historically, that is absolutely correct. But I do think that these guys, like as any player, and any player, I don't just mean this for Nadal. I mean it for Djokovic too. Like. These guys will want a faster court as they age because that that's the way to keep the point shorter and less grinding and you know, I, but I don't I like I said I don't I don't know what Rafa's priorities are. My inclination, like I said, if he's playing the tournament, I assume that he's playing to win it because oh, right now, yeah. right now this guy and he's openly spoken about it is at a point where like if he is not trying to win the tournament, like he is not playing it. Like I anticipate that Rafa Nadal next year is going to be like on the Kawhi Leonard load management schedule where it's just like, I'm playing like 10 tournaments and like, that's it. Like I'm not doing anything beyond that. That's, that's what I envision. So like if Rafa Rafa, like, very easily could have just said, like, I'm injured. Like, I'm recovering from my foot still and bowed out of the ATP finals and, like, given himself two months of rest going into Australia and in the title defense. But he didn't, which leads me to believe that, like, he wants to win this and he's going to try his hardest because he also agrees that, like, this is a pretty open field. Like, nobody's really, like, a super big favorite. So he should go for it.
1: Yeah. Totally, totally, 100% agree. I just don't think he's going to win it. That's just basically my kind of the, how I want to end that Nadal-like segment. I just don't think he's going to win it because...
0: Ah, uh, the famous last words, doubting Rafa Nadal. We've all done it.
1: Yeah, man. Watch. Well, next week, people, or in two weeks, actually, because uh, the Tour Finals is next week. But I'm going to... This episode will come back to bite me, as let all me, episodes do the Let me ask great you this, Marcus. There. Let me yeah. ask you this. Uh-huh.
0: Did you have any possibility in the world that Rafael Nadal would be the 2022 Australian Open okay, champion? Okay, you see, I, I see. I knew you were going there. I, I know no, for, I. But I like know. that's the truth. Yeah. But that's know, the truth, right? Like this guy just knows how to win.
1: I think that this. I think that this is more unlikely than him winning the Aussie Open this year, because at least he's won the Aussie before, and he's at least made the finals a bunch of times. He's only won one hardcore title. Indoor hardcore title, and that was when you and I were seven years old.
0: It is pretty awesome to think about.
1: Right? Okay, <laughs> or eight actually. we were eight
0: years old. Okay, it's really incredible. It's really incredible. So, it's, really incre- it's an incredible. It's like a shockingly bad stat. It's. No, it's I mean, it's
1: I, kind of horrendous. Honestly, so. like I, I don't want to rip into the doll because he's amazing, but like Jesus, you couldn't even win like a freaking. Yeah. Whatever. Um. Anyways beyond that frank we've got our four people who we who do we okay who do we think is going to take the title ultimately that's what the viewers came to listen for who do we think is taking the title based on yeah i think.
0: guess this is the last this is the last one before we wrap this puppy up novak Djokovic. i don't know you know that's that's my pick mm. i just think he is the best player there right now um I know I didn't mention him, but I do think that Sizipas is right there also. Like, like Marcus said, like this is an event that he seems to thrive in and like does well for some reason. I don't really know why, but you know, I, I, I still think Novak. Novak's my pick.
1: Yeah, I'm going Novak. I don't trust Medvedev since kind of. Ever since he won the Open, I don't trust he, he him. Is,
0: no, but that's that's actually Marcus. That's a perfect way to describe it. Novak Djokovic is the player that I trust the most out of everybody else here. That's yeah. all this is. I don't think he's necessarily better than everybody else. I don't think anyone here is better than anyone else. This is all they're all about the same. But what you just said is exactly right. I trust Novak Djokovic more than anyone else here.
1: Yep, basically it. World Tour Finals. He wants to tie up Fed's record. Indoor hard court, Guy's good. I trust him. I don't trust anyone else. I don't trust Fritz to all of a sudden come out and win it. Rublev, I certainly don't trust. Medvedev, I don't trust. FAA, is the, FAA I trust you, the least.
0: I was about to Yeah, <laughs> joke. FAA, I trust
1: the least. See, Frank and I are really sinking right now. I, I would actually trust Kasparud more than I would, more than I would trust FAA. Hundo P. Yep. Hundo P. Yeah, so we're still I spin- just
0: have no, no trust in FAA. No. Again, I think he's the second favorite. No trust in him to win it, though.
1: Nope. Not even, honestly, probably won't even make it out of the group stage, which would be a huge disappointment, but what's new with him? Um, So, yeah, that's basically where I stand. I just trust Joker the most. We'll see what happens, but, yeah.
0: I'm all with you, man, and I think that's going to do it for us here at the Breakpoint Podcast. So, Thanks for listening, everybody. Be sure to follow us on Instagram. We're almost at 200 followers, which is uh, pretty great considering how little we use it and how bad we are at it, at me. And <laughs> so, thanks for doing that. Uh, and thanks for the continued uh, listening. It's not like fanship or viewership. Go support this. Just- yeah, support. Let's go with support. I like that. Continued support uh, on the episodes. We're we're hitting some really good numbers lately and we greatly appreciate it. So thank you so much for all of that. It, it means a lot to us. And uh, as always, if you want to be on the show, if there's a particular topic that you would like to speak about, please DM us on Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast 7 and, and we'll get you on. That's how the schoolyard social boys got on. They shot us a DM and, you know, we got the episode going even when we were on our uh, little hiatus there. So oh, yeah, uh, let us know. We're happy to have you uh, have you on. Uh, and that's going to do it for me. So thanks for listening. We'll catch you guys next time.
1: See you guys.